Welcome to my Big Safety Challenge, a podcast all about stories of safety leadership, presented by Dale Carnegie and the Board of Certified Safety Professionals. Hey, Tiffany, another opportunity for a podcast. (laughs) What I think a lot of times we don't realize is what goes on behind the scenes to make this thing happen. Uh, it's a little bit like a friend of mine when he used to get invited over to people's house to eat. You know, he'd always say, oh, thank you. But then one day he thought, well, you know, somebody went out and said, we're going to pick out something really good because we've got company. And, and he said, when I did that, I realized, wow, this is, this is good. Think about all the things it takes to make a podcast happen. It's not just us. It's the people in the sound booth here mm-hmm. who are taking care of all the knobs and doing mm-hmm. that. It's the yeah. folks are editing. Somebody had to plan it and even think about it. So there's a lot of folks, not just you and me, but the guests that take their time, and it's good stuff. It is good stuff. So that leads us into Steve Myers. Steve Myers is here to join us from Amy's Kitchen. He heads up global safety and workers' Mm. compensation. Uh, Steve is also an attorney. So it'll be nice to kind of dive in into what Steve Steve does. Welcome to the podcast, Steve. Uh, if you can give us some background on on what you do for Amy's Kitchen yeah. on a day to day basis, tell us about Amy's Kitchen. What what you guys do there, and and what you specifically do for Amy's Kitchen, Steve. Sure, and thank you for having me uh, today. Uh, really excited to to share our story and uh, see where this leads us. But so first about the company, Amy's Kitchen is a food manufacturer. Uh, specialty food. We do frozen foods like uh, pizzas and burritos in single serve meals, some family serve meals. We also do soups and chilies and sauce, salsas and sauces, and it's all vegetarian and it is all organic. We do organic vegetarian food and um, we we hope to to be able to provide families with good quality food. And I know that, Tiffany, you've said you're a fan. I'm a big fan. <laughs> it's just a wonderful place to work. It's the culture here at Amy's and how everyone just genuinely cares about each other. And you can see how that permeates even into like our safety mm. culture and stuff. So my role with Amy's, I'm director of risk and safety. So I oversee our risk management program, our workers' compensation, and our safety program. And in addition to that, I, I also oversee our ADA compliance program. Okay. So that's the the spectrum of, of my my role here at Amy's. Um, and uh, it's been a wonderful almost five years now. So um, now that we know a little bit about Amy's Kitchen, Merle. We are curious. How did a guy like you get into safety? You know, everybody's kind of got <laughs> uh, like that conversion moment where they got in. But what was it for you? My career started as an attorney in private practice, and I was really involved with the uh, workers' compensation Mm. defense, and that was really my specialty. And thereafter, I went in-house with a company, uh, started, again, just working with their uh, work comp defense, and that role kind of morphed into more, let's say. And with that, I had a lot of interplay because of the work comp side. I am managing these claims, but I had a lot of interplay with the safety department at that company. So, you know, that's kind of where it first started. So when I came to Amy's about four months in, I was, I was asked to, to lead the, the safety program. And 
So I did have a lot of years of experience working with the safety department. So I had, you know, the knowledge, I guess. But what's really nice about this is, you know, if you think about the life of an injury, safety is the prevention and the front end of it, and workers' comp is the management of mm. it. So if we can try to make our place as safe as possible for our employees, while at the same time, if somebody gets hurt, show how much you care and that dedicated personal service that you can provide to your employees when they got hurt, right? So that, that is what really brought me together to to be able to to run the safety program and it's been wonderful steve one thing we haven't touched much on these podcasts is about workers compensation and as a company how to manage it properly could you give some insights of what you've learned and what you put into practice there when we're managing a workers compensation claim the standard way is that an employee if they were to get hurt they get sent over to your third-party administrator who administers the claim you know many times that employee can't get a hold of the of the person they have to leave a message and then you know get a call back and it's just not a great experience for the employees so one of the first things we did is i have two um integrated disability managers, right? They, they handle the ADA stuff, but they're also the personal contact for our employees. Nice. And so we've got, the, we've got the TPA who handles the back end, who handles the compliance, but then we've got these two individuals who, who actually are the contact point with the employees. So one of our core values is that we take care of each other. And I think this is just another way that, that we take care of, of our employees and give them that personal touch that, you know, they got injured at work, right? They're not a number. They, they are a person who got injured at work. And so it's just another way we can take care of them. And does your, do those people keep in contact and continue to guide the person along the way? I mean, if they're out for a few days, a few weeks, what kind of involvement do they have with them, not just at the beginning, but along the way? The entire way. Any questions, the employees can reach out directly to them. That is, rather than having a claims adjuster that's their main point of contact the main point of contact is this person now steve you would know this better than than i would i've heard of situations where people they were just they were kind of like the outcast when they were hurt and they were on workers comp and all these things and how sometimes if they're the outcast they don't hear anything from the company it's like they start to watch the ads on tv Oh, you've been hurt at work, you know, or those kind of things. Or neighbors say, oh, you know, I know somebody that got a big settlement. And do you find that that approach of caring and having a contact, what kind of effect do you see that it has on on those employees? They don't feel the need to go out and get somebody mm. to re represent their interests because they have their advocate right there. And it's, you know, it's another Amy's employee. We have a very low litigation rate in our claims. I'm pretty proud of that, right? Because that is a program that we have in place to take care of our employees. A lot of studies will tell you that many times the reason employees go out and, and get an attorney is exactly what you were saying, Merle, is they don't hear, they're, a, they're an outcast, and they don't know what to do. So yeah, we it, it's been a very big success for us. I'll tell you what, podcast listeners that that's that's a uh, big stuff right there steve one of the things that i've kind of honed in on is your culture your organizational culture 
So as far as challenges along the way, you had mentioned in our prep conversation that one of your biggest challenges had been to change and impact the actual safety culture, even though you had this very predominant organizational culture. Tell uh, uh, Merle and I, as well as the listeners, what you've learned and how have you learned to kind of manage that change in safety culture to make it more of a predominant culture amongst your executive and senior leadership team and what exactly you did to then say, yes, we've got this great organizational culture, but not only is it an organizational culture, but we need to make sure that we elevate the safety culture as well. What did that look like for you? Yeah, it's it's interesting, right? So we, we have this culture of taking care of each other. Mm-hmm. That culture, though, breeds a certain mentality of, I want to please, I want to do what I can, I want to get it accomplished, which is not necessarily always the safest way to do it, right? So it's this balancing act of cultures. And really what it was, was, you know, we, we need to change that. We need to get away from, you know, employees wanting to please the plant manager and doing something at all costs to doing it safely. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was really about implementing I mean, just a wide variety of programs, but then with the senior leadership team, we can say, hey, we want no no LTAs or we want, you know, you can set your goals of recordable rates or, or whatever you may have. And it's really, it was about educating them that what we really need to do is let those numbers take care of themselves. And we need to implement these policies that will change this culture so our employees feel safe at work and mm-hmm. safe to work safely. And so that that was a a challenge because, you know, and and this is in many organizations. It was not a challenge to get the buy-in here at Amy's. I have a very, I think, progressive senior leadership team. But at prior companies, you see, it's mm-hmm. companies benchmark the, their recordable rate against the other companies, and exactly. all it is, it's it's all about the recordable rate. So, Absolutely. educating them and and getting the buy-in for the plan on on how we're going to do it and uh, knowing how to measure it and keeping it up to date. So how did you work with the workforce, not just not in management, workforce, to steer that a bit differently, that we need you to speak up? We need you to be able to tell what you're really seeing, feeling, experience. How'd you do that, Steve? In 2019, shortly after I took over, we shut down all of our plants and had what we called a safety day. And we had educational sessions, hazard identification sessions. We had, you know, a variety of trainings. We tried to make it fun. We had prizes for employees. So that kickstarted it. And we had this campaign of see something, say something, um, and put in place a variety of safety suggestions, uh, opportunities for our employees, um, and really trying to empower them to speak up. Right. And and to understand that, you know, if they don't feel safe, you can stop the line. You can stop the work. But um, well, so I think that's that's really how it started. Now, there'd be some people, though, Steve, that'd say, oh, yeah, we'll we'll shut down for an hour and get everybody together and talk it over. But there are some people listening there saying a whole day. Do you know how much money that is and all? What would you say? That's right. We shut it down for a whole day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you know what? It, 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 
it's that overriding mentality of taking care of each other in our plants and we felt this was the best way that we could show our employees how important safety is to us production's not more important than safety that's literally putting your money where your mouth, mouth is. is literally <laughs> yes literally and a cup of thought there you know it's like you either pay it now or you pay it later mm-hmm. and it certainly was an investment of loss of revenue but what you're doing can help you you pay it now you don't have to pay it later you skip over it you'll pay it eventually and you're really putting in a Dale Carnegie principle into action there that says become genuinely interested in other people and your folks there just didn't say oh yeah you're valuable they proved it it's an ever-evolving thing with a safety culture it's interesting right is uh, I was reading a blog uh, the other day and I, I can't remember where it was but there is one of the things that is you'll hear through every company is our employees have the empowerment to shut down mm. a process if they feel unsafe. Everyone says it, right? Mm-hmm. But what if we changed that narrative from you can shut it down to you don't have to start until you feel safe, mm. right? That you're going to evaluate. So this this blog was about supervisors' responsibility of of making sure their area was safe before they start. And I, I'm thinking, well, what if we told that to every employee, right? And and so it's it's interesting. It's something that I'm ruminating with right now and how I can, can get that into the workforce. Uh, there's a statement I've also heard where people say, well, now we have an open door policy. You can come open door, come talk to us all the time. But perhaps it's not just having an open door, but it's having an open mind and open sure. heart to what people say. And that really alludes to what you're talking about there, is to let the people feel like they can speak up. Correct. So important. I think we have thousands of workers out there on our lines. Do I know better on how that piece of equipment works than mm. they do? No. They're the experts, right? They're the subject matter experts of their area, and we need to involve them. So I think that's been... One of those big things for us to change that culture is involving them. There's another principle when you say that that of Dale Carnegie says, let the other person do a great deal of the talking. And that's just what you were explaining. Let's hear it from the people. Let's hear it from the people that are running the machines who are making it happen. Let's give them a voice. We'll learn a lot and, and they'll guide us a great deal. If there's a particular incident that happens, somebody gets hurt. Taking the time to say, okay, yes, what happened right here and now, but was there anything leading up to that mm-hmm. that could have been addressed, even mindset, actions, the like? How do you face that? So, you know, that's the tough one. That, that's the one that I think for all safety professionals that, that you know, keep us up at, at nights or we have a, a, an injury and it's like, oh my gosh, we could have so easily prevented that had we just seen this or seen that so you know we try to get as proactive as we can we have from a proactive program if you will we're we're using a what we do is safe work observations unsafe observations and preventative measures another way to look at that you know the safe work is that recognition let's start recognizing people when they work safely they might be more inclined to try to catch it beforehand you know unsafe is let's let's not punish people 
from not working properly, but let's coach them so they can work properly. And then preventative measures are basically your hazard identification and correction. So we have really leaned in to this new program over the past couple of years and really tried to make it more robust to try to prevent those injuries from happening. However, they, you know, accidents do happen mm-hmm. and we have a very robust accident investigation um, program. And we always involve not only the injured worker, but other people that that are in that area and try to get their input. And, you know, and then obviously if we have repeats, we we start from square one again, because that means our Kappa did was not good. Right. <laughs> so right. that that's really it's tough. It, it really is because you try to prevent everything and then, you know, safety is you've got your regulatory compliance but then you've got processes mm. and you've got behaviors right right and it's it's a tough tough arena what we're talking about and what we are hearing from Steve and listeners are hearing is a real culture a foundation of genuine concern humanity yeah i love the word humanity i use it all the time especially when it is appropriate but here is an organization that is truly rooted in the humanity of the people that are employed with them but not just employed but the families the extension of who they are that extend over into their families as well and amy's kitchen steve understands that it is a holistic approach, not just looking at an individual, but looking at the entirety of that individual. And the behaviors are one, is is an element that we all will struggle to solve for in in safety. The the conditions, the unsafe conditions, we, we can address that. The unsafe acts and behaviors are the ones that we really try to work through as as, as safety professionals. But the culture, having a really predominant culture of caring helps in that. And so you guys have obviously been successful in establishing this culture and sustaining a culture of care. So when you're talking about a scenario now where you're, where culture is predominant, things are going well, and you haven't really cut your teeth as a safety professional until you had an OSHA visit. Right. Oh yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. You haven't cut your teeth as a safety professional. Everybody's all of a sudden tuned in right now. Here we are. <laughs> Until you have an OSHA visit, that makes you a real safety professional when you are able to navigate an OSHA visit. So that is something that Amy's has contended with this OSHA visit. Tell the listeners about some context um, as far as your OSHA visit, how you've been able to navigate the OSHA visit, and what some of your real takeaways from that OSHA visit that maybe you can embed into your culture and grow the culture, you know, and 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 see the positive of the OSHA visit, turn it into something that is positive and impactful and and ensures growth in the organization. Sure. So I think most safety professionals might have had OSHA come to their site in um, due to a an injury, right? Mm-hmm. And they're going to investigate that mm-hmm. one little part of your plant. But not a lot of people get the opportunity to have OSHA come in and do a wall-to-wall <laughs> six-day inspection. Six <laughs> days. You are, a, you. you are official, uh, Steve. You are official. <laughs> Um, but you know, and, and it's, it's, you know, when that happens, 
because this isn't in response to an injury. This isn't you as a company, you have a choice. You can say, no, we're not going to let you in. And you can make OSHA jump through the hoops or you can be a partner with OSHA. Mm. And I think we, we need to remember that OSHA, I mean, a lot of people think they're, I mean, they truly are there to protect the workers, right? Mm -hmm. um, I would say that they are a minimum requirement if you want a safe That's workplace. Right. So if you have confidence in the safety protocols that you have in place at your plant, then you shouldn't be scared of OSHA coming nice. to your plant, mm -hmm. right? And so we had this decision to make and it, it was it was not a tough decision. It was, nope, come on in, when can you come? I remember I was, um, I was not at that plant when when they came and they showed up we brought them into the conference room they asked if they could you know just go look at one area that day sure can when are you guys going to come back and this was like midweek i said hey i i'd like to come out there can you guys give us until you know i think maybe this was like a thursday can you give me until monday or, or something like that right and they said sure because now we've already started to form that relationship mm -hmm. with them mm -hmm. on the front end so then you know we're out there the entire entire next week and we really took the approach of how can we help you right and we we spent a lot of time with them and you know it was interesting at the end of the visit they actually thanked us and they said you guys run a real clean operation here nice. i remember talking to my safety manager at the time and letting him know he was of course really concerned and stuff i said why are you concerned? Mm -hmm. You know, it's going to be what it is at this point in time. Absolutely. We have, if we do our work all day, every day, when OSHA shows up, it's going to be what it's going to be. And not only that, we might be able to make our place safer as a result of this. That really sounds like that your mindset of we're here to partner, we'll partner with you, and please, we want your input. We value your input. What kind of difference do you think that makes in the heart and the mind of the OSHA inspector? I'll, I'll give an example Please. Of, of what has happened since. We have looked at, at a variety of different like pieces of equipment. And, you know, the, the latest thing now are these collaborative robots. And, you know, with collaborative robots, the manufacturer is going to try to say, hey, because they, they force – limiting and they stop you don't need to guard it so of course i read the regulations and it's like no we we need to have guarding here but i called up the district manager of the this was the high hazard unit that that came to our place i called i've called her up multiple times we've had discussions regarding those a variety of different um safety issues and have gotten advice from her on how OSHA looks at it. And, you know, we were able to then use that so we can make sure that anything that we implement, I've gotten the opinion from OSHA. That's not going to help me if OSHA comes and we didn't do it right. But, you know, it, it does help when you have that, that opinion and that relationship where I can cut, I can give them a call and I can see what they think. Wow. So compared to looking at them as the evil empire, <laughs> Or, or the enemy, you've looked at them as these are folks that are really interested in our well-being. And think of that, Tiffany, of the message that sends to the management team, 
the OSHA people coming in, even the employees, when they say, we're open, we're help uh-huh. us, uh-huh. huge. And that's something all our listeners really need to keep in mind. And that's what you always want to do each day as a safety professional, as a risk professional, is in, be impactful. And sometimes there's opportunities for those partners to help you be impactful. Mm. And so that's a partnership that people don't really see as a partner. And I think it's a mind shift in saying, you know, a regulatory agency can be your partner in driving change and success within your organization. But I think that, Steve, when people see that, that the management team is like terrified, frightful, <laughs> like, oh, my gosh, no, then it's almost like the OSHA people sense it and say, maybe we need to delve a little bit deeper here. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it's, it's interesting. I wonder, like, we had two two individuals there for that week. Had we taken the other route and said, no, you're going to have to go get a warrant to, to come in here, how many people would have shown up? Right. (laughs) The whole district office. Right. It makes all the difference. And one of my experiences, because we had developed the same type relationship, we had uh, occasionally an employee who would call and make a false claim against us. And when they came out, we knew them on first name basis, the people at OSHA. And we said, hey, we're sorry, Merle. Wait, I do this. Sure. Come on. Let's walk around. See, but because we had developed respectful rapport mm-hmm. yep. it wasn't a big That's deal exactly right steve it sounds like you have a culture there that you have from the top what kind of advice would you give to a safety professional who says man i envy this guy steve i'd like a job there but i don't have that right now what would you encourage that kind of person to do the first thing you have to do is is define what you're trying to accomplish, Mm. right? Know what you're trying to accomplish. Don't just rush and say, oh my gosh, we've had 15 slips and trips. We need to coach all of our employees about rushing. Don't rush to judgment. Try to find out what you need to, to work on. And then you need to start with clearly defining how you're gonna accomplish what you're gonna accomplish. Right. Find a measurement that you can use to see if you're being successful or not. And ultimately, you need to be confident in that plan that it's going to work. It's not going to always happen overnight. It might take a year, three years. I told senior leadership when I came up with my plan, I said, this is five years. Mm. Um, But I told them why. I told them there would be steps along the way. Right. I had a very clearly defined plan of what we're going to do. We have modified it. You need to be agile enough to, to, to modify it as you go along, as you see other things that, that maybe will have a bigger impact. But just be confident that that you know what you're doing and what you're trying to accomplish and you've got the right plan in place. There would be some people that would say, well, Steve, that's great. You've got a culture that loves people, values people, cares about people. I can't get my senior leadership to listen to me. What is something that you've delved into some, but go a bit deeper. What do you need to do as a safety professional to get the ear of your upper management? You need to educate them, right? You get, Think about how much we have to juggle 
and we have the safety component. Mm -hmm. That upper leadership, you know, they've got the entire business. Mm -hmm. They don't know safety like you do. Mm -hmm. So you need to educate them. Again, it goes back to knowing what you're doing, being confident in what you're doing, having a plan, showing them why this is the right plan, and executing on that. And I think sometimes we as safety professionals, because this is our world, we're like, well, sure, everybody knows this stuff. Right. But they don't. That's exactly and it's not because they're ignorant. And it's not because they're trying to be resistant. You said it well, Steve. They're going to pull a multitude of directions. And we just have to take time to help them. But I think one other thing there, too, is there's a reason they have you in that role because mm-hmm. they trust your expertise to guide them. And using that actual guidance, because I think when you can parlay safety into the organization, and and it sounds like, Steve, you've been successful in parlaying safety into the overall culture of the organization and being able to do that. Your organization understands culture, right? They understand caring about people. And there's no better better element than safety validating the care of your people that are coming in day out, day in and day out, and and their families that are an extension of them. So I would I would think that once you get the ear of that of that executive team or that senior leadership team and and communicate to them the importance of safety, they understand care culture so they they inevitably will be able to be receptive to safety culture i don't want to like portray that the the senior leadership didn't safety wasn't important because Mm -hmm. safety has always been Mm -hmm. important to them and when i talk about you know educating for me safety was important but more educating on you know what we need to do to be safer what we need to do to really lean into that value of caring for each other mm-hmm. and how this ties with it. So I've always had a very supportive um, leadership team around safety. And um, so, yeah, that, that has absolutely helped. What we've just heard you say is how the safety professional is an influencer. The safety professional is a leader, and leaders lead by influencing, not just with force. What's your thought on that, Steve, of the power of influence that a safety professional has? Oh, absolutely. So for for us, we have a plant, let's say, that has 500 employees in there, and we have a safety manager and a, a safety specialist there. So you have two people. You have to be able to influence 500 people. So how do you do that? How do you get that buy-in and and leverage? Okay, I've got a management staff of 50. How do I leverage them that they can then leverage the next level down and and really? And that's where we are today is getting this down to that that line worker level, right? That is that's where you want to be. Ultimately, that's where you want to be. Where I am I am sitting there making a burrito and Merle, you're next to me and I see that that you're doing uh, uh, something that is ergonomically incorrect. And instead of being fearful, if I like try to show you a different way to do it, fearful of the response and because it is a bit of a confrontational type of Mm -hmm. uh, situation. 
it comes from a place of caring and the other person knows that. And once you get there as an organization, that's to me that, that golden spot. <laughs> now, Tiffany, I know something that's very important to you is guiding up and coming mm-hmm. leaders. Maybe you could tell a little bit about your thought on that and then delve into what, what, what Steve thinks on that. Yeah, I think as safety professionals, we have a duty and an obligation, especially as seasoned professionals, to create a pipeline. And not just a pipeline filling it with um, younger, less seasoned uh, professionals, but actually preparing them for the work of the next generation. Um, because we, I think we can all agree that there are some really, really strong qualities in millennials and, and, and Gen Z. Um, but and at the same time, there is some very distinct differences in in the cultures between Gen X and Boomers and Gen Z and Millennials, and that also exists in the workforce and how they work and bridging those cultures by creating a pipeline. But it also is feedback, having conversation with them, asking them what works for their cultures. Steve, I would love to know more about how you prepare your organization, how you mentor and prepare the pipeline of the next generation. You know, I hate using those those stereotypes, but mm-hmm. I, I would say if we went back in time, Tiffany, mm-hmm. and you went back to when you were in your 20s, mm-hmm. and I went back to when I was in my 20s, I bet I'm not much different than those that are in their 20s today. You know, let's take the Gen Z, Gen X, let's take that differentiation out. But in your 20s, you haven't had to juggle the amount of balls that you have to juggle as a young safety professional Mm -hmm. or even in other areas, right? So we have to be able to develop that skill set. Think about it. We've been going to school our entire life. I have to know how to um, like in law school, I, I need to know how to evaluate this case. I need to know what the rules of law are. Whatever it may be, it's a very task-driven mentality, mm-hmm. right? Then all of a sudden, you're a safety professional, and you got to get away from that task-driven mentality, and you got to know how to prioritize, and you got to know, okay, how do I influence, mm-hmm. like like we talked about. So I think it's really trying to to coach. Um, around that and the understanding of the importance. Now, I will say from a socioeconomic standpoint, yes, you're absolutely correct. I think it's completely different today. And, you know, I'm I'm really proud that like we are a B Corp certified Mm, company, right? And that that leans right into to what we're talking about. And and it's also what um, allows us to get, you know, that's a a selling point to the the younger generation uh, today. So you know, really, though, developing those skills with them and knowing that you're there to, to partner with them and help them along. And it's really about, to me, it's, I, I don't want to get into the stereotypes. I mean, I mean, they're all out there, but it's really just teaching them, right? Being a mentor, being, mm-hmm. being that person that mm-hmm. can mentor them along. And let's not get frustrated with anybody's differences, right? Mm-hmm. They, nice. they might have a different way of looking at things with us, mm-hmm. but than us, but let's not get frustrated with them and let's teach them how nice. they can be the best of them. When you're thinking about your pipeline, is do you 
do the coaching and mentoring, I mean, within your organization or people coming off of the, the floor or from internally within the organization? Or are you guys actually getting, you know, people who are from outside the organization having gone to get formal education in the field? What is, what is the, or is it a combination, a hybrid of both? What's, what's kind of Amy's Kitchen's approach about, about filling that pipeline and, and getting these folks trained in, in safety and risk? So it, it's a, a combination of, of both. Mm-hmm. Um, I can tell you, like, I have a one of my safety managers has uh, yesterday was his 15th anniversary mm-hmm. with with Amy's. He mm-hmm. started out as a security guard. That's he awesome. Has worked his nice. way up. Another one um, came over from the uh, manufacturing side. He was mm-hmm. a supervisor on the manufacturing side. So you know you got to teach any whether you come external mm-hmm. or internal you're going to have to teach either the the um expertise the the knowledge of OSHA and, mm-hmm. and compliance and regulatory or you're going to have to teach them how amy's food production manufacturing facility works mm-hmm. um for me personally i like the internal candidates because I can see what their mindset around safety has been, mm-hmm. right? I can see it in action. I can see what they did. I, mm-hmm. I remember um, one of the, the safety managers being in a, um, um, a investigation, a risk assessment, let's call it, on, on a single product. And he put this team together and we did a risk assessment and we were able to, due to that risk assessment, we were able to change the temperature we transferred our hot product at, mm. taking it from a high temperature that burns quickly. So therefore, you need more PPE, more administrative controls, etc., down to a temperature that won't burn people. That validates that the culture. Out? No, no, no. That validates oh. the, the culture, right? So you're taking people who are already bought into the culture, who are already understanding of your established Amy's Kitchen culture, which is the foundation of everything that you do. And then you're in, you know, transferring them in to doing the strategic tactical elements of safety. So it's risk. like uh, it's homegrown in Absolutely. a good way Absolutely. because your, yeah. your people are saying, well, wait a minute what if we could mm-hmm. do something like this mm-hmm. and your people who know it mm-hmm. so well that's awesome mm. that's that's and and i think that that approach is such a sustainable approach and as opposed to bringing people from the outside and there are people who understand the organization who would have loved the opportunity to work in safety to work in risk but it's always Oh, someone from the outside who checks all these boxes on, oh, this level of experience, this level of education, and don't receive the opportunities internally. It's always an external hire, and that doesn't parlay into the culture. And then the culture is not well established. And yet, Steve, you've got people who have seen, live that culture, and sure, you're enhancing it, but they get to help out in that way. So for the younger 
safety professional who's maybe thinking about going into their career or they're just getting rolling, what would be a piece of advice that you wish someone had given to you when you were just kind of getting rolling in the whole area of safety and working with folks in this way? Build relationships. And, and I believe you because, again, as you know, in the Dale Carnegie world, it's all about you cannot ask for a, a hand until you earn the heart and the trust of people. Why do you believe those relationships with people, why does it bring such benefit to a safety professional? Well, one is that they know your interest in them, your care in them is genuine, and therefore they're more apt to allow for your influence to impact their actions. They are more apt to spread that culture that you're trying to spread. They All of a sudden, they become a voice for you, even though they may not be in your safety organization. And, you know, back to what I was stating before, if you have two safety professionals and 500 employees, those two safety professionals aren't going to make the, the place safe. It's going to be the 500 employees. And that's where you got to build those relationships. Steve, good interaction here insights from the story of your life and your experiences. And when you think about this, Tiffany, I mean, this this is practical. This is real. Yeah, this is, these are takeaways that are easily implementable. You got it. Mm-hmm. So Steve, thank you so much for your time and commitment and help. Well, thank you. And Tiffany, thanks for, for inviting me. I've really Absolutely. enjoyed this. Always good to see you. I'll see you on the other side sometime soon. Tiffany, stand out, culture. That was a theme that kept coming through what he talked about. And the power of, it's not just what we say we are, but culture is, this is the way we do things around here. Absolutely. And I thought it was the thing that stood out the most for me as well. Safety is not even separate from the culture. Their culture is comprehensive, which includes their care for people, and inherently includes safety. And that exists from the executive leadership team all the way down to the shop floor, all the way to security. To have a security officer transition into a safety position tells you what they think about the safety culture. Mm-hmm. And and like you said, Merle, it exists. It's a verb. It is a verb within their organization. It, it becomes a way of life mm-hmm. for those people there, which is a worthwhile goal right. for every safety professional to say, right. Right. I'm here not to just make sure rules are obeyed, right. Right. we're here to help guide right. culture. Right. We would all strive as safety professionals to work in organizations where culture is predominant and it has safety embedded into it. Thanks for listening to My Big Safety Challenge, a podcast produced in partnership by Dale Carnegie and BCSP with your hosts, Dale Carnegie Master Trainer Merle Heckman and Tiffany Felix, Senior Vice President of Global Environmental Health and Safety for Paramount Global. Executive produced by Charlie Eltringham. Supervising producer, Michael Escobedo. Audio engineering and editing from Michael Escobedo and Giachi Liu. Editorial support from Tyson Matthews. Consulting producers are Colin Brown and Mark Sullivan. To have new episodes delivered directly to you, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever fine podcasts are downloaded. 
If you would like to share your story of a safety leadership challenge you faced, email us at info at mybigsafetychallenge.com. See you next time. Hey listeners, this is Merle Heckman, host of My Big Safety Challenge podcast. I imagine that if you're listening to this podcast, then you have some sort of safety responsibility in your job. Maybe you're a seasoned safety pro leading EH&S programs. Or maybe you're in HR and safety is one of the many responsibilities you have. No matter what your situation is, you are looking for ways to be a better leader. Well, I'd like to tell you an opportunity that's available from Dale Carnegie and BCSP. We've put together a leadership course just for safety professionals. We've taken the Dale Carnegie course and all its principles and weaved in the whole safety world to help you as a safety professional to have more influence. In the course, you will learn how to properly connect with other people and then build upon that with the ability to have collaboration creating an atmosphere where people feel like it's safe emotionally to work together and then allow you to learn how to lead and guide people who make mistakes, who want to do well, gives you the chance to know how to guide them with so much more. If you're interested, please click the link in the episode description or visit mybigsafetychallenge.com and look for the BCSP and the Dale Carnegie course link at the bottom of the page. We'd love to see you be a part to benefit your organization.